This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. At Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. Today's podcast is an opportunity to speak with Heidi Moad. Dr. Moad is a board-certified neurologist, medical writer, and author of a book I'm sure all of you have read called Careers Beyond Clinical Medicine. It's an exciting opportunity to talk to you, Dr. Moad. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Well, I, I appreciate your time, and you have done an enormous amount of work in the non-clinical area, and I'd like to talk to you about uh, that background as well as becoming a physician and, and uh, what has led you to where you are today and the things you're involved in. But I'd like to begin, uh, as my conversations with so many physicians do, talk to me a little bit about when you decided to become a physician. What, what were the motivators and, and what was your, your thought process back then? Um, well, I guess, you know, it, I, I can't even remember a time when I didn't know I was going to be a physician. Um, I mean, I, my, when I was very young, my talents lied in academics. So everybody mm-hmm. just said, well, you'll be a doctor. And I was very fortunate that I, um, I was accepted into a medical program right out of high school. So I, I was accepted into a a program at Case Western Reserve University where I was guaranteed into medical school if I maintained a certain GPA. Great place. So I went to college there and I started med school um, there after graduating college. And um, and neurology was just the area that interested me the most. So I liked probably all my rotations. I mean, I really enjoyed them. Mm but I kept going back to neurology. So I kind of, every rotation I did in medical school, I thought, well, that's probably what I'm going to do because I really enjoyed it. I didn't dislike anything, but then I, you know, I kept always going back in my mind to wanting neurology. So it was a, it was a pretty easy decision once I applied for residency. That's interesting. It's, it's interesting that, that you started by saying that you were very good academically. And so everyone encouraged you to go to medicine. I, I often talk with my clients. I say, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure you were the smartest kid in class. And the smartest kid in class is always told you should be a doctor. And I said, yes. the second and third smartest kids in class are told you should be a lawyer. Right. And so many of my clients wish they were the second or third smartest kid instead of the first. Well, that's kind of funny. And, and it's sort of, um, you know, I think it, it comes from when, you know, that's the best thing I was. Mm-hmm. That was my best thing was academics. Mm-hmm. So it just, it was a natural thing. I suppose maybe if I was a star athlete, I would have been encouraged to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, I think we're lucky that you became a physician and lucky that you're doing what you do to help physicians in terms of, you know, non-clinical opportunities and their focus and support that they need. Um, So let me ask you this. How long were you, I'll say, exclusively focused in medical practice before you started thinking about activities or opportunities outside of medicine? Okay. I would say about five years that I was Uh practicing. And and what what was the driver of that? Of, um, of, 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 of looking outside of practice. So it, it was um, some very simple and practical things. I was at that time, there were a couple things. One, I was a mom of young kids mm-hmm. and also married to a busy physician. So mm-hmm. between, you know, myself and my husband, it was, it was a lot with little kids. And so I was making it work, but it also didn't feel that sustainable for the long term. And I mm-hmm. didn't know, 
that it was worth it to be having long days at work and having little kids. And I just kind of, so that was, that was sort of this like blurry dissatisfaction, but there uh -huh. was really no solution. Um, and then another big area of dissatisfaction for me was the fact that I was constantly getting questioned by the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. And so that was extremely frustrating to me and everything I was doing was being second guessed. And so at that point, I just felt kind of like, well, don't these people know that the doctor is really the smartest person who should be making the decisions? What are they doing? Second guessing me. And I'm explaining my justification and often my explanations, the person I was explaining to didn't even understand the language I was using. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was so frustrating that they were making decisions for me when I had to give them definitions about how to make the decisions in the first place. I mean, it was, it was so um, just illogical. So that part frustrated me. And, um, and so what I ended up doing was talking to one of the people who called me to deny one of my tests. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I actually in frustration said, do you even have a neurologist working there? And it turns out they didn't. It turned out he was the founder of the company and he, it was a very pleasant conversation and he suggested that I, you know, that I go on board with them. So I actually did. I started working for them and continued to see patients at Case Western. I was employed by Case Western at that time as well. And I really loved the, um, the insurance work. It was awesome. I felt like I was making honest decisions. Mm -hmm. I was giving people really good advice. I was um, this is before it was well established that insurance companies even had to follow guidelines. Mm -hmm. I was looking up guidelines. They weren't that readily available. It was kind of like digging for, for these things to kind of have some sense of consistency. And I absolutely loved it. So it was a really, really cool experience to have the opportunity to work behind the scenes. And, um, you know, it was an area that was you know, it's a, it's a very emotionally charged type of situation to talk mm -hmm. to doctors about not allowing their tests. But the way that I was able to do it ended up being really friendly. So doctors would call and they would say, can, can you send this to Dr. Moad? And I would, you know, <laughs> even when I denied tests, sometimes I would suggest an alternative and they were actually really appreciative because I was the one who had been spending all day with the guidelines. Mm -hmm. So they were fine with it. Um, and that was a really cool experience. And plus I was doing it at home. So it solved my other problem of, um, of being kind of burned out with, with taking care of my kids. Well, and I would think they were also appreciative that they were actually talking to a physician and not a clerk. Oh yeah. They were very appreciative of that. They were appreciative that I was a neurologist. They were appreciative that I read the chart and I looked at the previous scans and I was really able mm -hmm. to, to help guide them. And um, a lot of times what, what some people would do is order a bunch of tests so the patient wouldn't get mad at them. Because, you know, in this, right. in this day and age, patients do come in and say, I want this test and I want that test. Mm -hmm. And so instead of kind of arguing about it, the doctor would order all of them and then the insurance company would, would say no. So that was another sort of surprising and weird thing that came out of it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really, it's really interesting. And at that time, I'm assuming there really weren't that many physicians who were working in that kind of a role. And, there weren't. Well, right. and frankly, 
are there today? I, I, you know, what I see or what I hear is still interaction principally with, quote unquote, a clerk and not with a physician. Yeah. So it was at that time, that was 2000, um, I think it was, it was around 2003 and 2004 when I started. They were very eager to have physicians on board. And, and to be honest with you, the reimbursement was a lot more mm-hmm. than clinical medicine. Which, which seems ridiculous. I mean, it seems crazy, but that was the reality was that they were dying to have physicians, yeah. dying to have people yeah. who were knowledgeable on board and paying so much more than what you get paid seeing patients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of sad, but that was the reality. And I think now a lot of physicians are applying for these jobs. So there's a lot more, um, it's a little bit hard, it's harder than it was for me Yes. And from what I understand, the compensation has gone down Mm -hmm. and the guidelines are pretty standard. Like now it's regimented guidelines. And so the industry has changed a bit since then. Yes, it it has. Uh, That what I have observed in that particular industry is a moving away from, uh, well, to a certain degree, common sense and common sense associated with guidelines to a much more rigid approach and likewise i think when you were doing it it was probably hourly based in terms of compensation Would that is that right and what what i'm hearing from people today because it is such a crowded market is it's almost like uh well it's almost like uh, e&m codes that the organization is saying uh, we're paying this much an hour however we're going to allow you this much time to review this chart so, that is what I'm hearing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's tightening up a lot. I I um, uh, I'm, I'm finding when people do go into this, uh, they're often a little bit dissatisfied after a few months. It's not quite the uh, you are describing what I would consider a, a stimulating intellectual activity. What I'm yeah. hearing now is that they're feeling more like clerks as opposed to actually you know, making making decisions. It's sort of checking boxes. Yeah, I think it was kind of in an an area of growth when I started, so mm-hmm. it was different. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of consolidation too. I believe uh, there was a time when I could go online with a client of mine, and 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 literally within uh, fifteen twenty minutes, source probably thirty forty fifty organizations out there, and they're t- starting to shrink down, and they're becoming more automated, and they're not sourcing their own candidates as much as they're going through the. Uh, the job boards and things of that nature. So right. it's a, yeah, it's a very, very changing industry. So yeah. what was your next step then? Because you've done so many things. You, you, you did not stop there. Right. So that was, um, that was a, a really great experience. And I, I had this sort of uh, throughout that whole time, I had a lot of doctors asking me how to get a job kind of like what I was doing. And mm-hmm. um that specific industry doesn't suit everybody. And it's mainly because it, the reason it worked so well for me and for some other doctors is because neuroimaging is very expensive. So having a neurologist on board saves insurance companies a lot of money. Um, but it, that isn't necessarily the case for every specialty. So, so I really started to think about this and to think about what other options are there for other specialties, you know, for other, for some doctors doing medical legal work mm-hmm. is a better fit mm-hmm. or um, working in like research and development in a pharmaceutical company. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and so there's all these different industries and i started to explore them and then i had really always wanted to write but um where i was at that point i had no in to writing mm -hmm. and so the only thing i i kind of felt like this could be something where i could write this book because there's no resources at that time right. there was no free resources for anybody about how to understand this kind of thing or no inexpensive mm -hmm. resources so what i did is i interviewed a ton of people who had transitioned out of clinical medicine and i wrote a book proposal i got it accepted by oxford university press i wrote this book and my original intention was that this would provide answers for doctors who wanted to transition, but just wouldn't fit into what I was doing mm -hmm. because they had a different specialty. So then what, what really surprised me was the enormous interest in the subject. I thought <laughs> this is going to be something that would, you know, I was looking at myself. I was thinking, well, I was a, a kind of mom who was burning the candle at both ends. And that's why this was appealing to me. Uh-huh. And so there's going to be just a few people like this, you know, I, th I thought, whatever, a hundred books or a, a thousand books or something. I didn't know that there would be the amount of interest that there was. I was really shocked by that. And um, another thing is my publisher had told me to make a website to, to lead people. To mm -hmm. book. Well, I didn't realize the website would take a whole life of its own either. And the mm -hmm. traffic is enormous it was shocking to me so um so i monetized it and i had ads put on it and i was like well why you know why not make some income from that as well right. but that was all a complete and total surprise i had no idea how overwhelmingly dissatisfied so many people are that they want to you know explore these options yeah it is amazing and what and what year did you publish your book so that came out in um 2013. wow wow mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, I know I look at the research and regularly I see, I'll, I'll say at least 50% of the physicians in practice today would like to not be in practice within the next two to three years. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a scary number in some ways that we cannot afford to have that many physicians dissatisfied or that many wishing to leave clinical practice. So, T right. Tell me. I agree. I mean, you know, I, mm -hmm. I kind of wish there wasn't this much interest. <laughs> you well, well, you know, it's uh, uh, I, I, I want to you know, know, know about you, but I will say when I, when I started my business, uh, initially the focus was how can we help you make your practice a happier place to be? Mm -hmm. But what has happened is as uh, we've crossed that threshold, so to speak, of, of employment versus independent practice, where more physicians today are employed than are independent practitioners. So changing your practice, if you work for a health system or some other entity, you don't change your practice. Your practice changes you, you might say. And so uh, the option of, of modifying a practice and trying to build it more around you has, has really shrunk over the years. Mm -hmm. But the other things, you've got your web, you have writing, uh, you're an educator, you teach. Um, you were looking for ways to kind of maybe shrink down uh, some of your demands. It seems like what you've really done is is layered uh, more and more demands on yourself. Right. Well, it's kind of funny. After I wrote the book, then I was invited to do a lot of writing for websites mm -hmm. uh, about physician careers and about neurology. So that's something that um, 
and I had already been teaching at that point. But but those two areas really do feed each other. They help each other out. Um, mm -hmm. I teach a, a writing course actually at Case Western, an undergraduate oh, really? writing course, and um, and so that's something where my own experience with writing for the public with professional editors has um, been very helpful in terms of my hearing what the how the, not hearing I guess reading students essays and giving them feedback and guiding them in improving their own writing mm -hmm. and um, and then hearing my students interests is also very um, fascinating for me as far as what students want to learn and explore when it comes to neuroscience topics. Now, these students, are these non-physicians, physicians? Yeah, a, a yeah undergrads. Undergrads. Under, undergrads. Yeah. Undergrads. Mm -hmm. It would be helpful if you taught writing to some physicians too, I think. It, well, yeah, I, I think physicians don't have so much time for it, but yeah, they... <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's it's amazing the number of physicians I talk to who want to be authors, and I always say, "Well, what are you writing?" And mm -hmm. nothing. And it's dead. It's dead air. So I uh, I think there's a, a a great deal of interest, but yes, when you get down to to time and fitting that in, it's a difficult thing to do, particularly when you're juggling with practice. Well, let let me you know with, with the the amount of time, the years, uh, I think the depth of activity that you've put into non-clinical careers. What are you seeing in terms of, of uh, I, I think the biggest thing is what kind of mistakes do you see physicians making when they start thinking about or wanting to move into non-clinical areas? Yeah, I mean, that's an, a really interesting question. So um, what I see is, first of all, I wish there weren't so many physicians who wanted to move into non-clinical areas. I mean, I think it's really cool that physicians would have a, a more of a voice and more mm -hmm. power in the whole medical industry in general, but I I do wish more physicians were satisfied, um, which is which is a problem overall. I mean, I I wish that the healthcare industry in general wasn't so frustrating for physicians. Mm -hmm. But some mistakes I make is um, or, or that I see people making is that I think a lot of physicians kind of. Well, there's a couple things I'll tell you. First of all, I think that there's a lot of really great and useful social media, like closed social media for mm -hmm. physicians. Mm -hmm. And people discuss these issues and say, what kind of jobs are there for me? What kind of things? I worry a little bit about people being so open, even though these are closed physician communities. Right. I really, really worry about someone um, suffering some repercussions by a coworker seeing them or something like that. So that's just one thing that I, I worry about. And it's sad because people should be able to talk about it and ask mm -hmm. for help. But at the same time, I worry about the way some people could be perceived and if it could backfire. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And then um, the other thing is, I, I think a lot of doctors don't necessarily they're so they're talking about kind of rushing to get out and looking for a job that makes money mm -hmm. versus a career that's viable for the long term. That's right. So I think like, like if someone is saying, you know, I'll take anything, I'll work for insurance company, I'll work in a pharmaceutical industry, I'll write, that's really not going to be necessarily viable long term. You don't want to just take a little project. I think it's more important to think about building something that's sustainable. Um, unless you're just a couple of years away from retirement, then it's fine. But I think you know, for someone who still has a good 20, 30 years of work ahead of them, 
I think it's really important to lay the groundwork and mm-hmm. and explore the industry and be someone who can start off on a path that's going to lead to a better career long term. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, and I, and I uh, unfortunately I I think that the state of how to say this well, the state of physician employment, how doctors get jobs today in terms of you complete your residency and you're inundated by recruiters and, you know, and, and other groups wanting you to, you know, to, to, to come there. And, and I think that it uh, creates a false impression that the, that's the real world. And, and that when it's time to leave clinical practice, well, I'm going to be inundated by people wanting me to come there as well. Yeah. And, and that's not what happens. And just as you're saying, looking at how to decide what kind of a career, and, and I really appreciate your differentiation between a career and a job. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that job is, you know, flip, flipping burgers, so to speak, whereas a career is having an impact doing something that's meaningful that, 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 is, that, that tests you and rewards you. And establishing that foundation early on based on what you like in life, what you enjoy doing in life, and then developing contacts and relationships that you can then really turn into a, a change process perhaps years or, or decades away. Yeah. Now I have a question for you. When, when people come to you, are they looking for something specific or are they looking for a lot of handholding? That's a good question. And it's, it's kind of hard to answer. Uh, They, um, most physicians believe that there are certain industries out there looking for them and that they can walk into pharmaceuticals. They can walk into uh, the provider uh, side of the industry, they can walk into insurance. And it's a little like the way you were describing uh, the, the, your, your relationship with the insurance industry and, and reviewing uh, uh, inquiries and the like, that those fields have become so crowded, they're very, very difficult to enter. And, you know, if you think about the uh, uh, pharmaceutical industry, uh, the uh, job title, medical science liaison, um, that didn't exist. What, a decade, decade and a half ago, that's that's a new thing that was created to really be a, a sorting out point for all of the doctors who wanted to work in pharmaceuticals. And so uh, there is that perception, well, shouldn't, you know, where should I go? You know, is, is this the, the proper pathway that doctors follow? And what I always say is, uh, you know, what do you really want to do? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's an amazing... Um, dialogue that begins because it usually begins with dead silence and okay. and the doctors say well i you know no one has asked me what i want to do for so long i don't know what i want to do so just as you're saying it begins with a process then of exploration i would say you know my business i call it a career diagnosis it is let's yeah. talk about your symptoms. Your symptoms are what you do well and what you enjoy and what your knowledge is and how that translates into career paths that might be of interest. Interesting. Long answer to a short question. I'm sorry. Yeah, but no, it's interesting. And I think it helps, you know, the listeners to sort of understand where to get started too. Yeah, it's, um, 
you know, it, it really is a process of, I, I say to clients, you need to treat yourself the way you treat all your patients. You sit and listen to them. You offer a diagnosis based on what they present to you. So you need to present effectively yourself to yourself and then start saying, what, what, does that, what does that say about me? What does it say I really want to be doing? Or, you know, what is, is of interest? And certainly, I think anyone who is, who is literally, literally considering a separation from a career, not a job, it effectively means you're, you're not happy. And you certainly don't want to take just a, a jump, a leap into something that you may be even less happy doing. You know the old the old saying about you don't want to jump jump from a frying pan to the fire, so you want, so you want to make a good decision. But I think you know, I think that again, what you do in terms of providing a, a repository and and information and direction uh, is is extraordinarily valuable. What uh, when you talk about some of the different websites, are there other places that uh, that you uh, you look at or that you hear physicians being interested in? Uh, in terms of non-clinical careers, uh-huh. yes, yeah. So it's um, so this area is really growing, um, and this is this is really funny. When I wrote my book proposal, one of the features that was asked of me was to list my competitors. Well, there were just a couple books and they were really old. And so I did list them. I, um, you know, explained how my mine was going to be different. Mm-hmm. And there was like nothing free online. And since my book, and I think it, it's, it has to do with changing demographics in medicine and change the changing industry in medicine mm-hmm. that's becoming more frustrating for physicians. Mm-hmm. There are now... Um, a number of websites. There are a lot of private Facebook groups dedicated to this. Mm-hmm. And there are podcasts like yours. Yes. And there are also professional career coaches. So there's a lot more resources for physicians now. And the way I look at it is sort of like if you were learning anything, like if you were learning a sport or, um, you know, taking a, a kid, taking a math class or something, you know, you have options of looking at a book or you have options mm-hmm. of looking on the web. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's, you know, sort of on your own time exploring. And if that's enough, that's great. Doing the things that are very inexpensive, like looking at a book or looking on websites. But if you need more help, you know, then you need maybe a class so yeah. people go to conferences or get a personal coach which mm-hmm. is kind of like a tutor or or a personal coach for a sport and so i think it depends on where everybody is personally oh and then there's the facebook groups which is more interactive so people pose these questions what should i do and mm-hmm. um what am i a good candidate for does anybody know about any openings these kinds of things so um i think different methods help different people depending on where they are what their qualifications are and um, I know that one of, one of the areas that's kind of unique that I have sent along a, a few people to you who have contacted me through my website is people who lose their license. Right. And so that's kind of unique. And I think it's really hard to get good guidance on, you know, my website gives very little information about mm-hmm. that. I mean, there's a little, I think I even maybe refer them to you through the website. I can't remember, but that's a really individual decision depending on why they lost their license what state they live in what kind of restrictions they have 
and no one's going to post that on a Facebook group. Hey, I did this bad thing and I, you know, or <laughs> that's, you, that's right. You know, it's not the kind of thing someone's going to write. So I think they may need more personal help and it just really depends on the situation, you know? So there's a lot of resources out there, but not every resource is right for everybody. Yeah, that's, that's, it's absolutely right. You know, I, uh, I, I try to couch a lot of what I talk about or the way I talk about things in clinical terms and, and what I see is uh, much like a, a person who is diabetic, well, they can, they can look online, they can join Facebook groups and, and other things of that nature. They can probably find a, a, a dozen community groups or forums or presentations put on by their local hospitals. Yeah. It gives them some level of knowledge, gives them some uh, level of, uh, of community. Uh, but if they want to be treated, they have to see a doctor. Yes. And, and I think it's the same thing when it comes to career management. You can talk to a lot of people, but if you want treatment, you're going to have to see someone who can actually help you and direct you in terms of, of getting to where, where you want to go. But uh, I think also you're talking about those who, who lose a license. Um, it is, I find it interesting that, that uh, physicians carry over um, elements of their medical practice or how medicine is practiced and administered when they start thinking about non-clinical careers and they think it's the same. Um, those physicians who perhaps have had substance abuse problems and in medical practice, obviously this becomes a very significant uh, challenge. However, outside of medical practice, it's a personal issue and organizations uh, don't have to know that you've had a substance abuse issue because it's protected information. Uh, medical practice, everything is full disclosure and physicians are so accustomed to having to uh, talk about everything they've done. You know, I always say the difference between a CV and a resume is, you know, CV is, is this, you know, this micro focus on every minute of your life. A resume is a, a synopsis of things you'd like to do. Yeah. And it's just so very different. But I think, I think it's, it's, a, it's a big issue of appreciating the difference between um, expectations and requirements in clinical practice versus expectations and requirements in the non-clinical world. Right, that's true. But, uh, uh, but anyway, it's, uh, it's very, very striking. In, in terms of, uh, you know, how you have evolved, so to speak, you know, there are uh, an enormous number of physicians out there who uh, I'm sure want to be you, want to have this you know, wonderful mix of, of, of a level of clinical activity, and a level of non-clinical activity. They want to follow entrepreneurial avenues. What's it like with all these different balls in the air? Yeah, well, it's um, a, a lot of networking. So a lot of mm -hmm. what I do, I get these, um, I do a lot of writing. I would say Writing is maybe like 80% of my work and teaching is probably about 20%. Mm -hmm. um, and the writing, it, well, both of them come a lot from networking. But um, mm -hmm. as far as teaching, I've taught a lot of classes. I've also had some wonderful opportunities where I've gotten grants to develop new classes that were needed by the universities where I teach. So that was really cool as well. And, um, and I also... So my writing, I do a lot of writing for publishers that 
publish articles on websites. So mm -hmm. I have a, a pretty good understanding of how the internet works mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. articles are paid for and how advertising works and internet traffic and search engine optimization and all that. Mm -hmm. So because I've had that experience, um, that leads me to get more projects because it is definitely something you have to think about. So mm -hmm. it's important when writing anything to serve your client. And that's something that I've gotten a lot of experience with where I, I need to understand the needs of the client who's asking for the articles and what they're trying to do and who their audience is and who they're trying to market. And, and um, you know, everybody thinks writing is all about going viral, but that's not really where, you know, how articles get paid for or how right. any kind of internet content gets paid for it really gets paid for consistent traffic mm -hmm. so it's really about serving the needs of the readers so just you know to give you an example sometimes i've even i'm even asked to write about very rare and obscure neurological diseases and realistically that's not going to be very high traffic right but the reason that that can be so valuable is because certain um certain products are geared towards those very rare diseases. Mm -hmm. And so they need to be advertised where those people are, you know, so even if it's sure. a very small and rare kind of thing and not everybody's looking at it, it's not going viral, mm -hmm. it still may be very valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so of course I know that it's valuable for the reader because the reader's looking for some free information about their very unusual condition that they can't find answers to but i also understand how it's funded right so right um so so i get i have basically contracts and i work through networking and i i get um, a lot of assignments that way and then i do my teaching during the academic year as well so um so it keeps me pretty busy i'm but, sure i'm sure it does <laughs> yeah <laughs> it keeps me pretty busy um but it's it's also just like a wonderful learning experience just for me to understand how the media works and, mm -hmm. and you know, how all this kind of information is is being uh, given to people well you know if if i listen to everything you've talked about a couple of things sort of surface for me and i want to see if, if you agree probably a word i've heard you use more than any other word in this conversation is networking okay and, yeah. and and the other thing that I'm hearing is sort of a, um, uh, I, I won't name the, the brand, but just do it. Uh, it's a, mm -hmm. bit, a bit of, of you're going to have to network, which is, is, is often a scary word when doctors hear it, but you're, you're yeah. going to go out there and network and understand what real networking means. And, and put yourself out there, do things, and you may not get paid for them, or you may not get paid a lot initially, but you're establishing relationships and a foundation. Would that be a, a good message from you? I would say that's really important, yeah. So at one point, and just to give you that, just just do it and um, you know establish the relationships. Mm -hmm. At one point, I was um, looking for, for one of the publications I was um, editor for, I was mm -hmm. actually looking to hire a few writers, mm -hmm. physicians specifically, and I was inundated with emails and applications. And I asked people for writing samples. And the majority didn't have any. True. So I mean, there was no way I was going to be able to take those, those uh, CVs of people who didn't have writing samples, and 
bring them under consideration for what I was looking for was a paid writing position. Mm -hmm. I, I had, I was offering um, to pay them for articles. And when we had no samples, you know, I had really, so that narrowed it down significantly. That's right. So I would say networking is important, but I think also just having, as you said, you know, just do it, have something that when you do want to apply for something paid, you're going to be, you're going to be able to prove that you can do it, you know? Well, you know, and, and an, an observation I have along those lines is that physicians often fail to appreciate how well regarded they are. I, I think that physicians get so accustomed to whether it's within their office or within their organization and, and, and particularly today, I, th I think most of us would agree that I guess we'd call the respect level for doctors has, has shrunk a little bit. But outside of practice, uh, it's highly credible. And to be a physician and to say, well, I can write about this or let me you know, add something that, that you're doing here. Could I sit on this board? Could I help your organization? I, th I think you'll find people uh, accept physicians with open arms for the most part. And yeah. all those, you know, all those things represent opportunities to, uh, to build your resume, so to speak, to build that uh, list of accomplishments and activities uh, yeah. away from medical practice. Right. Well, you know, this has really been uh, a lot of fun today talking with you. Is, is there anything, uh, anything uh, somewhat in closing that you would like to, uh, to add or a, a message you want to leave with or anything you want to ask me in parting? Oh, well, thank you for, for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I know you've contributed some really valuable uh, pieces to my own website. So Thanks. I appreciate that. And, um, some kind of difficult topics that you've been able to tackle. And so I know my readers appreciate that. Um, I guess the, you know, the only message I have is I, I think physicians are, you know, you're really smart. You've worked very hard. You have a lot of skills. And I think, you know, if, if you feel that you want to do something outside of clinical medicine, I would say, you know, go into it with a strong sense that you can get what you want. I mean, build the background and the skills that you need so that you can confidently apply for your next position and get it versus kind of like um, just taking what, whatever happens to be available. You know, I would say build your, build your skills, build your background, make yourself qualified so, so you can go in at the level that you want to go into. I think it's a, I think it's a great message because I I really believe, uh, and I've been doing this for a good while as well. I really believe physicians tend to undersell themselves and undervalue themselves outside of clinical practice, and and having a, a level of confidence and recognizing that uh, you do have a lot to offer is very important. And with that thought, we're going to close our program today. And I want to thank Dr. Moad for sharing her experiences and her insights about non-clinical careers. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And again, Dr. Moad's book is Careers Beyond Clinical Medicine. And visit her online at nonclinicaldoctors.com. As always, if you have questions or comments about our program, you can contact me directly at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Thank you for listening.